Welcome to Working Class Conversations, the podcast dedicated to the working class experience. Right, this is Working Class Conversations. It's Christina here, your host, and I am joined today by my good friend, Kath, a lady that I first met in 1997 when I did my work experience at secondary school at the library she was working at. And by wonderful happenstance, um, I ended up working in the very same library with said lady a few years later when I started my career in Birmingham Public Libraries as a library assistant. We went on to work together for well over 10 years, I'm not sure exactly. So um, we've known each other for a very long time, worked together for a very long time until um, now when neither of us are working at the library. Kath is retired and I am in between working in the library and whatever I'm going to do next. So thank you very much for joining me, Kath. Thank you. Nice so. to be here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're very. This is only my second podcast. This is going to be episode two of Working Class Conversations. So um, we're going to see exactly what's going to happen. But I'm going to open up with a question that I'm going to start off with everybody or whoever I end up ask, talking on this podcast with next. Um, what... Uh, for you does it mean to be working class or at the very least to start off with how do you define working class uh, in terms of how you fit into that how do you think you're working class I think I was working class because I was born in in poverty and we grew up with times being very difficult but um, now I'm not the same person as I was then I'm still the person I, I grew up as but things have changed and I now own my own house but I still live in a working class area and I think my affinity and um, people I feel more comfortable with are working class people or at least people who have experienced um, poverty in their lives um, but it is difficult I think to to decide where working class begins and where it ends um, is it about uh, owning your own home? Is it about your general income? Is it about where you live? I think it's a very complicated thing, really. But because I still live on a working class estate, I think I, I, I do understand to a certain extent what it is to be working class and what it is to be struggling. So I think that's my definition of working class is families who are struggling, people who are struggling. And that def that doesn't define me, but it does to the people I live around. And so I suppose my loyalties are with them, but that doesn't mean I agree with everything anybody says, because we all have different views of things anyway. Mm, different experiences in life. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, a good case for the economic side of mm. being working class where you're just working to survive it's yes the, the lower paid jobs in the economy mm. and um, and I think there tend to be more service-based jobs where you actually are serving people or you know it doesn't seem to me to be the old traditional idea of a manufacturing no. class where that you worked in a factory or you know did, did some sort of you know like a cleaning job or working in the canteen or all mm. that kind of thing it, it's very much a chunk of the economy where you're just paid perhaps you know talking in October 2019 you're probably paid less than 19,000 pounds a year 
Yes. You know? Yes, I would agree with that. Yes. Um, jobs aren't the same anymore. So much has disappeared. Um, and it's it's a quite different country as it is everywhere in the developed world. And it's de dealing with all these things now because now we have environmental worries about what we've done to the planet mm. and what we can do to put it right. And people are very concerned about that. Um, but there are people who still are struggling that much, I think, that they can't think like that. They may, they may try to understand, I think. But when you, from day to day, you're just existing from day to day, as some people are, it's very difficult. And they're the working class, I think, now. But they're not so... In the, when I was young, you could be earning good wages or bad wages. Mm -hmm. You weren't paid um, monthly. Most people didn't have a bank account to pay into. My parents certainly didn't. You got paid weekly. And you, you did live. You had to apportion all your money for rent, for shopping, for paying the electricity bill, for instance. We didn't have a phone, so we weren't paying telephone bills. In a way, it was a simpler. As long as you had a job, a regular paid, regular paid job, I think you could, um, you could do all right. But anything could throw people, losing, being sick off work for any length of time and finding it hard to find another job. I think it was, in many ways, um, more difficult. But it was also simpler, and life isn't simple anymore, is it? No. How do you think things were simpler? Do you, do you mean in terms of possessions and, and, you know, like now we have the internet, a phone, and everything, yes. nothing, you know, in that our financial obligations per month are greater than perhaps when you started working? Oh, definitely, yes. I mean, when I first started working, I um, had a salary um, of £7 a week. That's right, £28 a month, and I paid a bit of tax on that, not much. And I thought that was a fortune. I went out and bought a, an expensive coat with about five, I don't know how much it was, about five pounds or something. I mean, I still lived at home, so... Yeah. So it's, it's different again. But even then, my parents didn't have bank accounts. It wasn't until I was in my 20s that I had a bank account. Yeah. And, and my parents eventually got a bank account as well. And it's just things are so different of how we look at money as well. You couldn't, it, the only way to get into debt really, because the banks wouldn't lend you any money if you weren't a homeowner. So the only way to get into trouble was if you did this um, on the never never. Yeah. Higher purchase. And the people yeah. used to come round for the money. I remember that. Um, some of our neighbors, my dad was very strict about um, having things you couldn't afford and if you were going to have anything on hard purchase it could be only one thing and it had to be paid off before you got anything else mm -hmm. so we were slow in getting the things that some other people did but at least we didn't get into debt Yeah, I don't remember us getting into debt whereas nowadays money is so easy to get hold of and having bank accounts, it's not like having the cash in your hand. That's how much you've got. That's how much you've got to spend. And that's all. That's all. You can't borrow any money. There weren't mm -hmm. any credit cards. But nowadays, I think it, it makes it too easy for people to get into debt, which I think is wrong. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I suppose it's it allows a lot of freedom to people 
to um, raise funds when they need it if you're in you know sort of a moment where you, you whether you like it or not you need a new washing machine for instance but it also the downside to that is that you are going to have to pay it back and there's always interest to be paid on anything that you've borrowed that's right and we've also nowadays got all these payday loaners haven't mm-hmm. we that loan money but at exorbitant rates you know so somebody might borrow 500 pounds and be paying another two or three hundred pounds on the top mm-hmm. of it as interest and i'd be terrified of getting into any um thing like that and i think it's wrong to allow people you know to to lend money like that when they've got to repay it at such exorbitant rates Absolutely. don't know how people manage well, I think this is another aspect of what it's like to be working class, which is permanently stressed about money. Mm. I don't think it ever eases off your mind that you, you've got so much per month to manage with. And I think you can survive and exist on a low wage, but as you say, there's just, you, you haven't got any space for mistakes, manoeuvre. I mean, yeah. like, no, um, that's right. you know, in the summer holidays, um, was you know six long weeks of mum trying to sort out to get school uniforms because they're so expensive i mean that the idea behind that you um you know and i'm not saying we shouldn't have school uniforms by any means they look smart and they yeah, they're a uniform but um i just remember the financial burden on mum to get the school uniforms and and basically even though i have a younger brother towards you know sort of the middle and towards the end of my secondary schooling um i wore his old shirts and his blazers because i was small enough to fit in them but he'd outgrown them so it saved mum money um from for buying a new blazer for me when perhaps my very first one in like year seven or eight just didn't fit anymore Mm. um i could wear him and i I just distinctly remember wearing a couple of his shirts and uh, having i think for the last three years of school his blazer i remember mine was second hand because we couldn't afford to buy when i went to the Mm -hmm. to the grammar school i couldn't afford to buy the uniform new so but they uh, old pupils had donated their Mm -hmm. their clothes and they were in good nick they were um um strong um what do they call it um gabardine's type sites gabardine mm-hmm. mac and uh, yeah and, and almost waterproof um clothes and they were very good clothes but you were conscious of the day and the day of been having to do that weren't you even if some people didn't know other people would guess that your clothes were you know there were two kinds of girls there was the girls from the council estate this one and the girls who had who lived in their own homes or wherever they came from and there was a certain amount of snobbery oh, I, I remember um being at the bus stop once because you uh you only got one pair of shoes to last you the entire school year oh yeah so by the time the summer came around like june even they were falling apart my shoes often you know towards um you know the, the last month of school or something you know that the they would be coming away from the soles and they'd be like you know worn through um but mum wasn't buying another pair of shoes until it was sort of coming up close to as close yeah, to september doing, as possible she was doing the best she could wasn't she and, yeah. that, and a lot of parents had to do that and it was you know i mean i knew better off girls they had birthday parties we never had oh, birthday yeah. parties we did have one and only only one person came 
Oh. I don't know what, what happened there. This was in a junior school where there was where I just asked one person. I can't remember that. <laughs> but she turned up and I thought she was a friend and then she went and told people that her house was scruffy. Oh. So that wasn't very nice. So. <laughs> but that's the sort of thing you get, I suppose, and you just suck it up really, don't you? I think that it toughens you up, I think. Uh, mm. Poverty toughens you up where you have second-hand stuff, the stuff that you have when it's new, it's cherished until it absolutely falls apart. And people do. I remember at the bus stop that, you know, girls were always like, oh, look at the state of her shoes. I mean, I never went back and told mum because what was the point? There's nothing she could do about it and it would just upset she was her. She doing her best, yeah. 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 So, um, but I think it teaches you a thriftiness in that mm. I've got clothes that I've had for 15 years mm. and that are still in good nick and they still fit and I still wear them. I think it makes you value what you go out and earn and pay for more than hmm. I think you know it yeah, forces it you to appreciate yeah, I think those lessons learnt in childhood stay with you don't they and that you couldn't spend what you didn't have and you had to make do and a lot of uh, I think we live in a thr- throwaway society a bit in that mode, which is why uh, it's good if you can recycle things mm-hmm. clothes as well as um, as other things because at least then we're not being as wasteful because we are a very wasteful mm-hmm. society aren't we I mean I'm not accusing anybody we're all as bad as each other in a way really the stuff we throw away and you buy stuff and you can't get you can't eat it in time and it's the use by date has gone you've mm-hmm. got to chuck it in the bin haven't you um, and it's I think things have changed in that respect in the old days you were recycling all the time because your clothes were being darned and mended you weren't getting mm-hmm. new clothes uh, very rarely anyway and um, you ate you shopped every day that's another thing that's made um, working class, class life very different is the way we, sh- we shop now and the way there aren't the local shops mostly anymore and you, you tended in the old days to um, to shop every day to, so you get you might get your fresh milk delivered but other things like butter and bread and all that sort of thing we'd have to go in the pantry there was no fridges we didn't have a fridge or a washing machine come to that till I was growing up and at work but but now that it, it is there's been a lot of changes in a relatively small space of time really and we are quite a different country than we were in the 1950s but I think we are a more tolerant country in most ways mm-hmm. most people are more tolerant of people who are different whether it be their colour or whether it be what language they speak, whether it be their um, uh, gender, what their gender mm-hmm. is, what they what they call themselves, or what um, you know, homosexuality was a crime in when I was a child, and people didn't even talk about it. I didn't really know what it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know what sex was to come to that. And these things nowadays, you can't live without knowing all these things because of the of the internet. Nobody, nobody, if you like, can be innocent anymore because everything is out there, and it's up to us to make the choice about what we watch and what we believe is true and not. And it's a much more complicated world in that respect. Do you think having all this information is doing us good? as humans as a well I think we, we we crave information I think most of us and we want information but it, we can overdo it I think we need to sit back sometimes and turn off all the 
the computers and the and the phones and just you know read a newspaper I understand why people don't but I wouldn't be without my newspaper and we were taught as children that the way to better yourself was to be informed and educated we did put a big big thing about that because our parents didn't have the chances that we did at least in my generation in the 50s after the war there were so much more there were so much more ways of getting getting um, a better life by education and by you read you read the right newspapers my dad always used to say that you read we read the daily mirror nobody was sort of reading the, the times or anything like that but the daily mirror was a good a good national newspaper in those days I'm not sure I would say the same of it now I think it's more you know gossip and but but in those days it was a, my dad said that's the paper to read that and the socialist worker of course which he also read mm -hmm. as he, we were brought up to be socialists and I think I still am though I'm having trouble at the moment <laughs> so what for you I mean socialism and working class it uh, seems to to go together mm. um, but this is a point that I raised in uh, last week's podcast with uh, Tony is that I don't think there's a working class political party or a part, political party at the moment in the UK that truly represents the working class, then understands their needs, mm. what their issues are, what their problems are. And um, I just don't think there are really any actual working class people in politics at the moment. I don't think the Labour Party, the traditional working class party, really is a class of the working party for the working party it anymore. It isn't the same as it was in the 50s and 60s. Well, you know, working class people, when Harold Wilson became Prime Minister, a Labour leader, he was um, he was always having talks with the unions at 10 Downing Street and they'd have, they used to say they used to have beer and sandwiches. Nowadays, of course, they're all middle class career politicians, aren't they? I mean, Harold Wilson had, a, had been to Oxford or Cambridge, I can't remember which, but he was still, he was still working class, he still had the accent. And he still he still talked to the trade unions and well they do now I suppose but not quite in the same way, and they do seem to be a lot of middle class people and career politicians, and like the the politicians, like Alan Johnson for instance, so he was a good Labour politician, a good minister, and he came up through the unions through the post office, but that's quite rare these days, isn't it? You don't mm. see much of that anymore. There doesn't seem to be the rise through the unions at all. They say, this is an issue that um, I've been thinking about for quite a while, which is that because education has always been seen a way for people to progress socially through their, you know, through the class, through the working class up towards into the middle class, that for those that are capable, you could get a degree and um, progress forward. And and both of us, Kath and I, I did my mine on the recommendation of Catherine I'm very grateful that she did but we both have degrees from the Open University which uh, you know um, probably well, 20 years apart um, mm -hmm. but we both got degrees through the Open University while still working at the library and that's a, a great vehicle for us to, um, to to gain something that was cut off for us because I, 
Mm. Well, no, I had to just go out. Well, not had to, but mm. it was better for me to just go out and get a job and start earning. It was financially impossible for me to go out and get a degree at 18 there just wasn't even the train fare to go and visit universities mm. that I might want to consider visiting I think um mine was like one of the first years where you actually paid fees so again it was just completely out of bounds for me so I was so glad that you know when I worked really hard and I got my degree mm. um, in humanities from the Open University but one of the things that struck me is that there are so many degrees now that a degree is the benchmark for a qualification, like a baseline mark for an mm. awful lot of people for certain type of jobs. So if you don't have a degree, you're immediately cut off from applying for and obtaining jobs that actually you're perfectly capable of doing without a degree. I think it's meritocracy is probably the word that I'm really, really looking for. Is it? And I think basically the, there are so many people you know kids adults up to my age that have degrees and it's sort of in a sense devaluing it it's um Mm. it doesn't have the same value that it did you know 20 years ago um Mm. now because there are so many people with degrees and it's just now providing a barrier to the working class Mm. to um being able to progress up through the classes and earn those high paying wage jobs because now the working class are existing on zero hour contracts and that kind of gig economy i think that's true um that nowadays excuse me nowadays a degree isn't worth what it used to be i remember when i went to college uh, i went to teacher training college um they didn't do degree courses then well they did it was something called the the bachelor of education but it wasn't a university level um, degree course um, but I remember them saying to us, you are 10% of the population because you entered higher education. And I don't know what the figure is now, but I, I assume it's a lot, lot more than 10%. And of course, the more the more people have got degrees, then they, they, the harder it gets. They say now there's no point in doing if you, you've only got a, a three, for instance. You know, the, 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 it's, you might as well not bother with a degree. I've heard people say that. And of course, there's some snobbery about the Open University. But I'm very proud of myself and Stina because it was blooming hard work when you're working, you know, very hard work. Whereas you do think sometimes nowadays they give, they they give degrees out like sweeties. So here you are, you know, but it's not worth anything. It's bad for your teeth as well. Mm, bad for your bank balance. I yeah. mean, 40 grand, 50 grand's worth of debt mm, exactly. for three years, four years' worth of work that, in all honesty, possibly isn't going to lead you to the financial benefits that it would have even 10 years ago. No. I, did, uh, I think I mentioned this last week to Tony that I was quite surprised to hear that there's so many more people going for master's degrees and even PhD PhDs just to stand out from the crowd because the degree is not worth what it was now. I think it's possibly 50% I read somewhere. Mm. Whether that's a true statistic, I don't know. But, no. you know. Um, so, I mean, I think that's... It's um, providing... I think the intentions were good. I think it's providing another barrier because it's just promoting this idea. 
that the only education of value is one where you have a certificate to show that you've completed a few assignments and exams to a certain competency doesn't really measure um, the other human qualities that we all have that are just as valuable in the workplace. Yes, I think that's very true. That's very true. Because people have abilities. Everybody has some kind of ability. There may not be the right kind of of ability, but they've all got something to contribute. And I think people should be given a chance if they're not academic, say they have problems um, with exams. A lot of people can't do exams at all. And I understand why they do this coursework. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was a fair idea, that you could have the... Um, both of them would count, but only for 50% each, so that it didn't always depend on, a, on, a, on an exam, whether you got anywhere or not. It's only, I, do, I do think it's right to have the coursework as well and to be judged on that. But even so, I think in some ways it's harder for people nowadays because there used to be, um, if, you, if, you weren't, if you weren't academically inclined, you might have great technical skills or... Um, and there were all kinds of colleges you could go to. Nowadays, you've got to go to university to just study anything, really, haven't you? Or it seems like. And I think for the um, the non-academic um, higher education um, has suffered in terms of investment as well to, to to help people find jobs that really suit their abilities that are not, you know. Um, Going, getting some high-powered job in a bank. I mean, not that there probably are that many high-powered powered jobs in banks anymore for people, but, you know, not everybody is the same, and the education system should reflect that, not decide that because somebody's got a you know, degree that makes them better than somebody who hasn't. They might have the kind of abilities the economy actually wants. You know, we think about some degrees that people take on. Um, somebody was telling me there was a degree in um, <clears throat> in tourism. Do you really need to have a degree in tourism? But it, it's only because I suppose if you want to work in tourism you've got to have a degree nowadays mm. to, to have a decent job. But I don't know. Well I think it's just a sign that, it, that the idea that you start at the bottom and you can work your way up this sort of evaporated I think in some areas of UK society you probably could start off at the business bottom of a certain type of business mm. but then oh you need to have apprenticeships as yeah. well didn't you the old they were very good the old-fashioned apprenticeships I used to know a lot of boys especially that when I was about 16 um, they were doing apprenticeships and, and they'd go over to Germany say for instance and stay with mm. a German family um, I know they do this sort of thing um, around some things, but it was another way it, it, in those days. And it was, you know, those apprenticeships were were valued, and um, people really wanted to do them, but they just disappeared as Mrs. Thatcher became became prime minister. Most of our industries went; they just closed mm -hmm. down. There were no jobs. There were no apprenticeships, and that's what we do need to do better these days I think it's value industries that are not connected to degrees yes yeah, I agree with you there completely yeah. you think about Aston University our local university it's a good university but it was an even better college of advanced technology 
but everywhere has got to be a university so all these these polytechnics and uh, colleges a lot of them became um, universities whereas they're doing very well as a college of advanced technology it was highly thought of um, so I think there's still snobbery unless you've been to university well you can't be very clever can you but that's not true that's not mm. true you've got that people have got lots to and they need hope as well that there will be jobs out there for them and the training they need I would certainly support that as a, an important um, thing to do for any p political party. What with this Brexit at the moment? There's nothing else we, we, um, it's getting done and nothing else, the problems we have, education and whatever, none of them being dealt with. No. And that's a great pity. Well, hopefully uh, something will be done. Uh, we're recording this on the 22nd of October. So for, from our perspective, sitting here, we don't have a clue what's going to be happening politically. We're supposed to be leaving the EU at the end of the month. Who knows what's going to happen? It's all very volatile. We are living in interesting times. Um, so the one, you know, I think the one thing that whatever happens when we do leave is that there are new opportunities and we must all seize them when they happen with Brexit. It's an opportunity for us to embrace change and maybe we can start to repair some of these issues. Because I think we do have a very unbalanced society economically and in terms of opportunity. There's a brain drain towards London. Mm, There's yeah. a lot of people that will leave their hometown, regardless of how close they are to their families and how much they might prefer to stay in their hometown. They will leave because of the economic um, and educational and, and just basically all the opportunities that are available in London versus their hometown. And that's not right. There should be opportunities for everybody wherever you are to be able to um, stay you know within your own support network within your own family within um where you want to live um and you shouldn't have to i, I mean i don't like this phrase get on your bike and find work which mm. is you know from the 80s but um i just think sometimes you can always be on your bike and you're just constantly riding them further and further away from the things that you're trying to earn money for if you're in a family it's no good traveling 20 miles every day for your job you, you're not going to spend any time with your family you're just working to earn money yeah. And I think that's the plight of the working classes is that you work a low paid job, so you're working all the hours God sends, mm. like 10, 12 hour shifts. You might have more than one job, two or three yeah. jobs, many people have, don't they? And that's just to get by. Mm. There's just no no space. I mean, a lot of working class do earn a decent. I've said this before where there's the, yeah. the lower working class and the upper working class, mm. and the upper working class have us perhaps stayed in the same job and worked up their increments and their pay grade and they have you know a bit more security mm. and that they can perhaps afford a nice holiday a year and they can have their own car and, and whatever um but there's those where all of those things are just completely out of reach or just a burden upon them really yes oh. yeah, that's right one thing um, I did sort of want to discuss was about like being a working class woman. How do you think, considering the past and, and now from what you observe in the working class estate, what's the difference do you think in the experience for men and women of being working class? I think things have changed. There's no doubt that the, um, 
that women uh, have got more opportunities and uh, they've got more help to get jobs um, and earn things for the family. But of course, working class women, especially those who are struggling, have done this down the centuries. You know, they talk about women going to work, but of course, poor women had to work anyway. They might work at home doing loads of washing and that people bring to them. They might not go out to uh, to work, but a lot of them did. And because they lived, because they lived in so often in big family groups, there would be somebody there to mind the children while the mother did the work. Nowadays, we live in a much more isolated. Um, set up. We don't have all our grandparents and aunts and uncles necessarily around us. And it's more difficult and more expensive to put your children into nurseries um, to, to have a job. And you're still struggling because you have to pay all these bills um, so that you can go to work. But it could end up with all the money you earn practically goes in, in, in childcare and uh, minding their childminder. Um, I think some of the problems that women have then are being expected to run the home and as well as hold down a job. That still exists in some areas, you know, there's still this persistent um, idea that women have to do all the work in the home regardless of whether they're gone out to work as well. And there are still men who expect women to, to do all the work while they um, well, they go, go out to work as well and they come home like my dad used to do when I was a little girl. Mm. My dad went to work, he came home, it was always a dinner for him. My mother didn't go to work because she wasn't very well and the doctor said she, she needed to give up her job. So we didn't have as much money as we might have had but at the same time at least my mother could cope with looking after the house. But. But, you know, the woman was always the one looking after the children, basically. Your dad was going to work, so, you know, he needed his time to rest when he got home and to eat his dinner and not to be bothered, you know. But that's changed a little bit, I think, but not as much as we think it does. I still think in some poorer families, um, it's it's even more difficult for women, some risk that you could say, because they they're expected to go to work as well as run the home. And I think it is much harder in that respect. Whereas, you know, staying at being a stay-at-home mum, like my mother was, basically, um, up until, um, she did have a job in a factory, but uh, she had to give that up. She did a little bit of cleaning, but she had to give that up as well. So she was always there for us, and that was good for us. I'm not so sure it was good for her, but at least it took off the stress for her of having to go to work and then coming and having to do all the housework and look after two children. You know, so it's a more complicated picture than you think, I, I always think, that women, in a way, the more they do, the, the greater the burden they put on. They say, I can do anything, I can hold down a job and run a home. But that brings pressure and stress. So some things have changed because there are a lot of people trying to bring up children on their own and doing the best they can. And, and we live in a society which expects more from people. They should get a job, everybody should get a job. Well, that, in a perfect world and everybody should have a nice happy life, but we don't live in a perfect world. 
I think one of the interesting things um, from my perspective, because obviously mum did work in bits in our childhood, mm. but actually, no, she was more of a stay-at-home mum. Mm. She raised four kids. But um, I think this constant push between, well, women can work, so they should work, mm. and there's this pressure i think on a lot of women that um they have an obligation to be a you know smashing glass ceilings and doing mm. they're actually for the women that are much would rather prefer being a stay-at-home mom and nurturing the home and the family and it doesn't bother them to do the housework and to have their husband graduate it's unfair on them that they're mm. somehow they're seen as not really working whereas it's really hard yeah. taking care of a home and it's really hard raising kids and it is actually a full-time yeah. job. So yes. I think a lot of women compromise between doing part-time work. So they've got their own time where they're going out and they're not just mum, but they're in fact another person that can talk to other adults and yes. earn their own money. But it, as you say, it's, the wages are most likely largely wiped out by mm. childcare costs. And, mm. um, and I think society on a general is very unforgiving towards women that are not economically productive they don't value the work that women do in the home and for the family the to be honest the essential work that doesn't have material value of like financial rewards mm. like a pay but actually helps produce a well-adjusted little citizen or several little citizens yeah, children have been loved and cared for yes mm-hmm. yeah and have had time with their their mum you know, if they're going out to work all the time and, and then coming home dead tired and having to do whatever's necessary, nobody has the time. And they just want to go to bed, you know, and have a sleep, a good sleep, and then get up in the morning and do the same thing. So it is nice, I think. Perhaps it, at least they've got some a lot more part-time work than they used to have that women can, can take advantage of if they can afford to do that, just work a couple of days a week or something and then have a bit more time with the children and everybody's happy then I think mm-hmm. I think they are under a lot of strain and it's natural I suppose the higher the expectations the more pressure there is mm-hmm. but they should they should value being a mother a stay-at-home mother as well because that as you say is not mm-hmm. an easy job it's mm-hmm. certainly it's certainly not an easy alternative to go to work looking after children is very difficult because it's a 24-hour job mm-hmm and I think uh, there's a lot of underestimating how important the mother and child relationship mm. is for both mm. the child and the mother. Oh, definitely. That they underestimate the need for, for women, particularly when babies are babies, to stay at home and take care of them. I don't mm. think there's much... There's a constant pressure to not be on maternity leave, I think, mm. from a lot of people that I've paid attention to. Yeah. So, it accumulates a lot of guilt in women which I think is really unfair and it's something that we should all be fighting against that it's mm-hmm. fine for some women to be childless and pursue yeah. careers academia or whatever and it's fine for others to stay at home and raise their kids yes it's an acceptance that there is more one way of more than one way of doing things and I think the work-life balance and looking after children is, is, is the most important thing. I mean, bringing up children is, is the most important thing. So, you know, to do it well is, is quite a task as well, but an awful lot of people do do it. But I think there needs more support mm-hmm. for childcare and, and, and for that sort of thing, and to be valued as well. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Well, I feel we're coming to a natural end of the conversation. So um, one last question. Is there anything that you um, don't miss about being, you know, the, the, the old working class of the 50s and 60s, the old working class of your youth? Is there anything that you are glad has gone or anything that you really, really do miss about the working class of old? Because I think we've established that the working class of today is vastly different from back then. That's a good question. I'm, I was trying to think of. I think the things I'm glad that have, have have gone quite a lot are things like the, the way people used to hide things in the old days. People didn't talk about things, you know, um, things that how they felt about things. You, you were encouraged just to, you know, get on with it. But your parents were. My parents were loving parents, but I wouldn't say they were that demonstrative. Um, and there were a lot of things we didn't talk about. Once when I, um, there was a scandal, the Profumo scandal, I always remember that. Um, in the early 60s it was, wasn't it? And the papers were full of um, talk about politicians and um, call girls. They never called them prostitutes, call girls, because that's nicer to say than a prostitute, isn't it? and Russian diplomats and what had gone on and it was a security thing and we I didn't know what sex was, never mind uh, understanding all the political ramifications but the, my father wouldn't talk about it because we did ask him to, to tell us what it was all about and he said no, he said you're too young to know about things like that so that was that and I think we are more open today I think it's still hard for parents to talk about some certain things with their children but we do encourage people to to um, tell us how they're really feeling and to and to um, to feel that if they're having mental health problems for instance that that's not something to be ashamed of and that we can we can help each other and I think that's a really good a really good change and it's fairly recent really if you think about um, about 20 years I think because when I first went to work people used to whisper about people who had mental illness and to say they ought to pull themselves together and you think now well, what does that mean but I mean I didn't know at the time that you know what it meant and how hard it was for people to to get the help they needed and so and so that that has changed that in you know people are more open about talking about things and I think that's a really good thing. I mean, I miss I miss my parents. Mm -hmm. If you were to say, what do I regret? I miss uh, I do miss my parents because we were a nice family. I think, and we were we uh, we were there for each other. We weren't perfect. Nobody's perfect. Perfection is not possible. But we um, we did have a close relationship, and I always felt my parents were there for me. And my brother too, and at least I still got my brother. My mum and dad have died. I mean, I'm quite old myself now, so... She's not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I do miss the closeness I had with my... My mother especially, I would say. You know, she was a very kind person. And she liked to laugh as well. But I think in many ways we are a better society for being more open about things. So that's something to hold on to and to keep on you know to always support 
And I think that's a superb note to end on. So mm. thank you very much for that, Kath. You're welcome. <laughs> so I don't have a clue who I'm going to be interviewing next week, but I will be interviewing somebody. So keep an eye out and come back to Working Class Conversations. Thank you very much for listening to me and goodbye.